0: Well, I don't know if anybody has actually said Happy New Year yet, but can I be the first one to preemptively wish you all a Happy New Year? Um, I want to tell you that right now you are about to hear the most significant and profound sermon that you will hear the rest of this year. Barring you don't go to another church service after this or listen to a podcast on the way home, okay? So, I hope you all had a good Christmas season, a good Christmas time. This is by far my favorite time of the year with three kids all under the age of six and being a kid at heart myself. Um, I love this time of year. I adore this time of year. I look forward to this time of year. The celebration of the holidays, the get-togethers, uh, the Christmas books, That I get to read to my kids, driving around looking at lights, the reminder, the celebration, the focus of God's gift of his son that penetrates it all, the gift giving, all of it. There's only one part that I dislike about this, is that it ends. And it has to. Over the next few days, we're going to pack up our Christmas tree and the lights And the Christmas books and the Christmas puzzles. I love Christmas puzzles. All right? We're going to pack them all up. We're going to put them in the attic for the next year. And I might actually take the lights off my house and the HOA won't find me like they did last year when they were still up in April. But I'm going to work on that. And I was assured by a gentleman down here who is Ukrainian that we're going to keep these trees up at least through the 5th. Not because we don't have staff here to take them down, but because Ukrainians celebrate Christmas all the way to January 7th. So, for some, they'll be in the attic. For others, we'll wait on it. But here's the deal. When anything ends, the natural response is to reflect, to look back. When a life ends, we reflect. My mom died in May. At 84, my dad died four years earlier. So I'm now without parents. And many of us have experienced death this year. And when someone passes away, when someone leaves this world, we reflect over their life. We reflect over the richness and the wonder of who they were. We reflect on where we are now. When time periods end, we reflect. For some of you, how many of you just finished your first semester of college and you're home for the holidays? Anybody? One, (laughs) two, three. Congratulations. For some of you, you might have finished your last semester of college. Anybody, Anybody like that? For some of you, you might be starting a new job and so you're stepping away from an old job. Maybe you've moved houses this semester or this time of the year, or you're about to. And there's so many memories that exist in a home as you pack it up, as you think about it, and you reflect on those things. I know football season just ended. I am a fan of Tex-Ags. is a football forum for those who do not know. I get on it religiously over this time of the year and look at recruiting and all these different things. And there's so many people on there who are, as the season has ended, are looking back with great criticality and great reflection over what's happened with the Texas A&M football team. And I think about if people would look at their own lives with that much criticality and that much reflection, how deep we would all be. But I want to say this. Many people in the world, they don't believe in God. So why would they reflect on those things? But for us as believers, even more so that we would reflect on what God's done in our lives because we believe that God is actively working in us to mature us. And so we should be looking back. You know, we come to the end of this year. It's great to think about and dream about all the things that we want to do new and different in the coming year. But before we get to that, that's next week's sermon, I want to encourage all of us that it is so valuable as a discipline to stop and reflect on where we've been and to specifically reflect on questions like these. Who has God shown himself to be in me this last year? In what ways did I see God show up in my life? How might he have been working in my life? What truths or lessons do I need to hold on to that he taught me this year? I found a quote that says this, don't waste your time looking back. You're not going that way. You know, that's a real, that's, that significantly is true if you are looking back to live in the what-ifs and the maybes because you can't change them. That's, that's actually detrimental. But let me tell you something that I see in the scripture that we see from God. It is not a waste of time for us to look back. If you go through the Old Testament, you will see in Deuteronomy, just go through the book of Deuteronomy, and About every other chapter, you will see phrases like, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember what your Lord God did. Remember the whole way God led you. Remember how you provoked me. God tells us to look back. He even set up holidays. He even set up the Passover and feasts to remind the people of Israel to continue to look back at his faithfulness to his people. We have Christmas, we have Easter as days that we do the same. Powerful traditions and times to remember and reflect. It's important for us to do that. God calls his people to do that. I want to give you an example that I saw in Scripture, and I might be stretching this a little bit, okay? but follow with me this. In Mark 8, don't turn there, I'm just going to summarize it. But here's something that happens, I think a lesson that we see of God calling his people to look back, this kind of reflection that I'm talking about. In Mark 7 and 8, those two chapters, basically Jesus has just fed 4,000 people, again, with some bread and some fish. All right? And he gets the disciples, and he puts them in a boat, and he says, we're heading out. And they go to the district of Dalmanutha. And once they get out of the boat, it's not very quick that they hit the beach, they hit the shore, and Pharisees are coming out and challenging Jesus. And they are coming to test him and challenge him, and they're asking for a sign, and Jesus basically says, truly I say to you, this generation will receive no sign." And he says, guys, get back in the boat. We're heading back across. And they're in the boat. And here's listen to what it says. They had forgotten to take bread. And do not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And Jesus was giving them orders. Jesus is going to take an opportunity to teach them something. And he says this, watch out, gentlemen beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He just had this interaction with the Pharisees and he's saying, look, the leaven, because leaven infiltrates and spreads through and he's saying, look, they're false teaching, they're misthinking, they're wrong thinking, they're false thinking about God. Don't let that get into your life. Don't let that infiltrate any aspect. And you know what they do? Listen to what they said. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. They had no idea. He was talking about leaven, and they're talking about we have no bread. We only have one loaf. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not understand? Remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? They responded. They said 12. He says, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up then? They said seven. They were right. And he was saying to them, do you not understand? I'm going to stretch this a little bit, but I want to... I want you to hear what I think Jesus is telling them. He's saying that you're missing what I'm trying to tell you right now because you haven't processed who I showed you I am. You see, the disciples, they remembered the experience. They remembered the facts of the experience, but they missed the meaning of the experience. Who it showed Jesus to be. The disciples, Now, I tried to say this clearly, but this is going to be hard. So follow me on this. The disciples were not bringing the meaning of a past experience with Jesus into the present. And because of that, they were missing what Jesus was trying to teach them in the present. Let me say that again. The disciples did not bring the meaning of a past experience with Jesus Into the present. And so they missed what Jesus was trying to teach them in the present. You got that? That's why reflection and remembering and understanding, and not just remembering facts, but understanding the depth of the experience is important. And that takes time. And so, what I would ask all of us to do is to take some time over this next week and this next month to really think about this last year, to reflect on this last year, to ponder this last year. I would ask you to think about the struggles and triumphs and God's presence in them. I would ask you to think about what you learned about God and yourself. I would ask you to think about the relationships that changed or deepened and why. I would ask you to think about how you changed or didn't in your own spiritual life. I want us to walk into the new year having reflected on this last year not just the facts of what we experienced this last year but who God is and was in those experiences. Ultimately, so that we will be primed to receive what God has in store for us the coming year. That's my premise. There are some of us today Because I know, because I have conversations with you, who are struggling with some of the questions like this. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, why did I go through that? God, why am I still going through this? God, when will you do something? God, how will you help me? And I want to say this, I can't personally answer those questions. And I can't stand up here today and say, God, will answer those questions either. But what I can say to this is if you don't look back and you don't reflect, you certainly won't get any insight or answers. You know, anytime any of you have been either counseled someone or been in counseling, what do we do? We look back, we unpack, and we try to understand. That's what I'm asking us to do at this time of year is to look back at our lives where God intersects our lives and process those, reflect on those things. And so here's what I want to do. Today, I just want to give you six perspectives, six, just a few perspectives to think about how you might reflect if you choose to do so, because no one can make you do that. No one can make you do that. And here's what they are. I want to start with this. First perspective that I want you to have is remember that God is for us. As you reflect over this last year, whether it was great, whether it was good, whether it was not so good, whether you want to forget it, remember this, that God is for us. We just celebrated Christmas. We just celebrated this beautiful reality that God sent his son into this world to live and then to die on our benefit on our behalf, that our God is a God who profoundly cares about us, who demonstrated a deep and powerful love that we just sang about. And even Paul, as I was reflecting, we studied the book of Colossians this semester. As we studied that, Paul, just even holding on to the heart of who God is, tells us that he works that we might be complete in Christ that Jesus might present us holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And that's what's important to God. And so God is working in our lives. He is for us. He wants the greatest for us. Not necessarily what we consider great or what we consider best, but what he considers best, what he considers great, and his best and his great is better than our great and our best. I promise you. So here is our prayer. This is the prayer for all of us. God, give me an accurate narrative about you and remove any false thinking that I have about you because God is for us, okay? Second one is this. Be honest as we reflect. Be honest with ourselves and with God. There's no need to hold back. Let me say this. If you have had a great year, celebrate it. If you've had a year you'd rather forget, you're frustrated, confused, or feel like God has been silent and abandoned you, acknowledge that. Say that. But here's the key okay, this is the key. Don't miss God in the celebration. It's easy to overlook God when you think things are going well. And don't miss God in the frustration. It's easy not to see him when you're hurting or frustrated. So here's the prayer for us. God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand. That's what he had told the disciples. Give me those things. All right. Third. Trust that God is working. I want you to think about Moses for a second. How old was Moses when he died? Someone shouted out to me. 120 years old. You can break Moses' life up into three segments 40 years, 40 years, and 40 years. First 40 years, where was he? Egypt. Man, he learned all about Egypt, the culture, the language. How, how the, the society ran, what you could get away with, what you couldn't, okay? What do you end up the next 40 years? As a shepherd, dealing with stubborn, obstinate sheep. Any idea what God's preparing him to do? What was the last 40 years? The last 40 years he led the nation of Israel, became one of the great leaders of our faith and followed God unbelievably faithfully. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see something. Trust that God is working. This is in Acts chapter 7. It's a great little summary of Moses' life, and I want to read it to you. And I want to show you just a few phrases from it. Here's what it says. It says, But when Moses was approaching the age of 40, So he's in Egypt. It entered his mind. I love that. It entered his mind to visit his brethren. Man, God's working in me right now, right? God ever bring an idea to you, a thought that you felt like you might make a movement on? Hey, look, God's working in my life. God brought that to me, okay? It entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him. And he took vengeance, For the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. Remember, he hit him in the sand. And look what it says next. It says, and Moses supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him. Was God going to do that? Not yet. Not yet. He goes on. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together. These Israelites were fighting. He tried to reconcile them. He said, men, you're brothers. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? And at that remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. And after 40 years had passed, then an angel appeared to him in the wilderness in a burning thorn bush. At that moment, God awakened in him to his people that he might be calling him to action God awakened in Moses the idea of him being used by God to help his people. But it was not yet. There was more work to be done in Moses' life to prepare him to be who God desired him to be. And it took 40 more years in the land of Midian as a shepherd for him to be ready. For God's timing to occur. And so maybe for some of us, as we reflect over this last year, there will be moments that are a little confusing or moments where you're like, I thought God was leading me in some way. And, and I'm going to say, maybe it's been a season of preparation. Maybe it's been a season of development. Maybe it's been a season of waiting. You see, we live in a world today where we want results now. Now. We want understanding now. We want God to move and to tell us now. I live right next to Lowe's and I live right next to H-E-B. It's the greatest, everybody says real estate is location, location, location. If I need something in Lowe's, I am three minutes from Lowe's and and a minute and a half from H-E-B. And if I can't get it there, I got Amazon Prime. And in two (laughs) days, I got it. We live in a world that lives with the now. It's available now. Can you imagine trying to teach our children how to persevere in prayer when they don't see answers right now? You know how hard that is? That's hard for us. As you reflect over this year, just remember, God is working. But it may be a season of preparation. It may be a season of waiting. But here's the prayer that we should be praying. Here's our prayer. God, even if I can't grasp the depth of what you're doing in my life, give me an unshakable confidence that you're with me, that you're for me, and that you're working in my life, even if I don't understand. That's our prayer. That's our perspective. All right? Next one. Hold on to God's words and promises. I'm going to go to Mary on this one. Mary, the mother of Jesus. We just spent time probably in our churches reading messages in the book of Luke about this promise and, and, and what happened for Mary. Um, but here's what I want you to think about. As we hold on to God's words and promises, his words and his promises end up for us being footholds or handholds or platforms that we can stand on that are secure if we will hold on to them and stand on them. Mary got such an example of that. Remember this. Again, I'm going to look in Luke, read some passages, and these are some highlights I'd like you to think about. An angel shows up to her and says, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she is perplexed, okay, at that statement. And she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Mary was a reflector. She was a ponderer. Okay, and you're going to see she hides things in her heart. The angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God." And listen to what she, he tells her. This this she holds on to. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be exalted and called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Israel and Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And she goes, okay, whatever you say, Lord. And even later, when the, when the angels pronounce to the shepherds, that they will find the baby laying in the manger and they show up and they tell the story, the truths that the angels revealed to them. What happens? It says, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child and all who heard it, including Mary, wondered at the things Which were told the shepherds, and Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, fast forward 30 years, and here's Mary. She is standing by the cross of Jesus when he is suffering and dying. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Can you imagine watching the son that you raised, even with this truth that was proclaimed to you, even these things that you knew and seen him do? This is the child that you reared. And he's... On a cross, suffering and dying. And he says to you, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture said, I'm thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put up a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop. And they brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit and and mary is looking at her son looking at the messiah looking at the one who's the son of god the one who is going to have a throne that lasts forever and he is dead suffering a brutal death and for a mother to see that what did she hold on to she had to hold on to the promises and the truths that had been revealed to her by the angels it doesn't say what Mary was thinking and experiencing or feeling, but I have to believe that as she hid those things in her heart, as she pondered those things, she saw and she remembered. She held on the truth. And maybe for some of us we're going through a season of revealing as you look back on your year. What has God revealed to you? How has God tested you? what you believe and what you don't. What are your footholds? What are your handholds? What are the platforms you're standing on? And I will say this, it is a skillful balance in letting God's truth interpret our circumstances and experiences rather than letting our experiences and circumstances interpret God's truth. You follow me on that? Here's the prayer that I think this perspective should give us. God, whatever comes my way, show me the truths that I need to hold on to tightly and let me hold on to them. Fifth, we're almost done. Realize God repeats the same lessons. You will see if you reflect over this last year, I hope you see that there will be themes that God will present. Themes of dependence, themes of faith, whatever it may be. Let me give you an example in David's life. What is David, the most famous battle David ever faced? Goliath. But listen to this section of scripture, because I love this. It's a beautiful picture as he is talking to King Saul about saying, look, let me go fight Goliath. And Saul is going, you are too young. You're just a boy. You can't do this. And look at what... David is going to say here. This is in First Samuel. He says this. It says, But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him, attacked him, and rescued it from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I seized it by the beard, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. You see, David, as a shepherd boy, saw God's faithfulness, saw God's ability, saw God step into things. Because notice this, he said, I, I, I. But when he gets to this phrase, he acknowledges who it was that delivered him. The Lord who delivered me. It was the Lord who allowed me to get that sheep and rescue it. From the bear and the lion. And I have seen that lesson in my life. And so I know what the lesson is here. If God has been faithful here, and he puts that next step of faith, a greater step of faith. I can step into that because I saw the lesson here. And you see a similarity in what he's doing. A theme in David's life of trusting against all odds. So for some of us, we might be, as we reflect over this last year, thinking about a season of establishing, a season of opportunity to take a step further in our faith, to trust God deeper with a similar theme. Remember the example of Jesus and his disciples that I quoted earlier. He said, you saw me feed the 5,000. You saw me feed the 4,000. Two similar experiences. You haven't learned the lesson. Maybe as you look over this life, you will find themes. Maybe you've experienced several moments of a similar thing. Maybe you've had several opportunities of the same thing. I love a a quote that uh, a professor I had said. He said, what God has done in the past is a model and a promise of what he will do in the future, which he is too creative to do the same thing the same way twice. God is always teaching us. He's always trying to mature us. And as you reflect, look for those themes and let this be our prayer. God, help me learn quickly and to take greater steps of faith. All right? Last one I want to share with you. As we think about reflection and perspectives of how to reflect, know that God can restore. I want to look at Peter's life with you. I'm just going to throw up some statements that Peter makes. Okay, some rather bold statements that Peter makes. Peter gets called to be one of his disciples. And then he says some things. These are words that come out of Peter's mouth. They start out profound and faith-filled. They take a detour and they kind of end with a good story. Watch what happens. He starts off unbelievable statement of faith. He's in the boat, there's a storm, Jesus shows up as the ghost calms everything down. They're they're afraid of it. And and Peter, the only one who speaks these words, says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Boldness. We celebrate the boldness. Beautiful statement of faith by Peter. You go on. Remember this, this section in Matthew 16, Jesus is with the disciples, he turns to him and he says, but who do you say that I am? This is what all the people are saying, but who do you say that I am? And who speaks up but good old Peter? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus just, great job, Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I'm going to tell you something, Peter, I'm going to build my church on your confession. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter's over there, man, oh yeah. (laughs) Bold, wonderful statements. He gets to go up on a mountain with James and John and Jesus and there's this thing called the transfiguration. Basically, you know, Jesus has got his flesh which conceals his glory. It's the veil of Jesus. There was a veil in the, in the, in the, um, tabernacle that separated everybody from the Holy of Holies. That's where God's Shekinah glory went. Well, Jesus' veil was his flesh. I don't know if he took it off. I don't know how this worked, but he revealed his glory on top of that mountain. Elijah and Moses show up. It's this amazing thing. And look at what, G, what Peter says. I love this. Now, Peter and his companions have been overcome with sleep. But when they were fully awake and they saw his glory and the two men in standing with them, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I love this little parenthetical they put in here, not realizing what he was saying. Jesus ignores him and moves on. Okay? Okay. And God speaks and says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. They're not staying on the mountain. But Peter's hope, he's caught up in this. He's so faithful. But this is where it turns. I think that's funny, not realizing what he's saying, because what he's about to start saying, he is misstepping. He just keeps tripping up. And he gets rebuked for it. Look at this. This is the next section of Peter's statements says, Jesus, from that time, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, and raised up on the third day. And Peter takes him aside. I love this. He takes Jesus aside, rebukes him, the scripture says, and says, God forbid it, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. Is, he, is, his, is his intent right? Yeah. But what does Jesus say to him? Jesus looks at him and says, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Man, one minute, it's, this is God's spirit revealing this to you. Next minute, you're living in your own lane. It gets better. Jesus is the night he's about to be betrayed and taken into custody, and he is going to wash the disciples' feet, and he takes off his outer cloak, he covers himself with that, with that cloth and he bends down and start washing the disciples' feet. And, and he says he poured the water in the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And he gets to Peter and Peter says, Lord, you want to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I do you may not understand, but you will hereafter. And Peter said, never shall you wash my feet. Again, he's in his own lane. He's missing it. Jesus has to correct him again. Look, if you don't wash, if I don't wash you, you will have no part with me. Just misstep, misstep. And, and even this one, Jesus says to Simon, Peter, he says, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I am praying for you that your faith may not fail and that once you have turned again, you will strengthen your brothers. But what does Peter say? He goes, Lord, With you, I am ready to go to prison and to death. That's a bold statement. Is it true? We're about to find out it's not. Because he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And within hours before the rooster crows, he says, I do not know that man. You see, Peter starts out with all these wonderful statements and words that that proclaim God's glory and are right in line with God, and now he is saying things that are so far off. He is misstepping and misstepping. But here's the beauty of what happens, because God restores. Later on, and I'm convinced of this, he denies Jesus three times, and he doesn't get to see Jesus again. And talk with him. And when he hears that Jesus rose from the grave. And he is one of the first ones out the door running to that grave. I'm convinced he's not just running to see if Jesus rose from the dead. He's running because he wants to reconcile. He loved Jesus. He knew how much it grieved Peter when the rooster crowed and he realized what he'd done. And we see again when, when he had made his appearance at the people and then there's a point where they're on the boat fishing because they don't know what else to do, the disciples, and Jesus shows up on the, the bank of the, the, the Sea of Galilee and he is making them breakfast and they realize that it's him and Peter takes off his outer cloak and jumps into the water swimming, probably gets there the same time the boat does, but he can't wait to get to Jesus and he gets there. And they have a breakfast, and then this beautiful, beautiful part where Peter is sitting there eating breakfast after he'd finished, and Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said it to him again, he said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it a third time. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. He restored Peter. As we reflect back over this year and over our year, maybe it's been a season of missteps for you. Maybe it's been a season of compromise. Maybe it's been a season of potential that didn't go well. But I want you to remember something. Nothing is impossible with God, and his desire is for us to be holy, blameless, and above reproach. And anyone who humbles themselves before God, God will lift them up. God can reconcile and bring good from difficulty. God can take us through a new season. And here's what I love. Peter started out with bold statements of faith. Peter had missteps with his words. But where we see Peter at the beginning of Acts is this, men of Judea. He stands up bold and confident again. Men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And he proclaims who the person of Jesus is. And 3,000 believe on that day. What a powerful restoration for Peter. Maybe we need a season of restoration, and a season of forgiveness. But the only way we get to that season is to look back and reflect and ask the question, have I had a season of misstep? Where have I messed up? Where have I mistrusted you? Where do I need to grow? And so we need to reflect, but know as we reflect, God doesn't leave us in the pit. Here's our prayer. Lord, show me where I have misstepped and give me a response of humility and repentance so I can move forward in the good works that you've prepared for me. Those are my six perspectives I would love for you to use as you reflect over this last year. And as we close out this year, I would ask us to take the opportunity and the time to look back And to give God a chance. To give give God the moments he is worthy of. To meet us. To show us something. To grow us and to challenge us. And what he's been doing. Here's what I'd like to do to close this today. I just want to read Psalm 139. Over us. I would ask you to bow your heads. I would ask you to listen to these words and make them your own. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways, even before there was a word on my tongue. Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay a hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. You formed me. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts of me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Father, we come before you right now and I pray that in the days and the month to come, we would come before you often. And we would have an ability to look back over this last year, to look back even further if necessary, and ask great questions of you, to see where you have met us in life, to see what you have taught us, to see what we need to grow in, what we need to confess, what we need to repent, and all these things so that we can step into something new and take greater steps of faith to know you in a deeper way, to to make more room in our life for you, to make more space in our mind for your truth, to grab a hold of it and hide it in our hearts that we might be all that you desire us to be. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would guide us in our reflections. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful New Year's.